Good morning, everyone. If we uh, haven't met before, my name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here, and I just have to confess I don't even know what boiler up means. Not, not a big sports guy, but it sounds like Paul got his furnace fixed, so congratulations, Paul. That's great, buddy. It's getting cold. That's important. Hey, today we are in week two of a series we've called Fish Feet Faith. And if you were with us last week and you know that the goal of this series is to really stretch our thinking when it comes to the topic of serving. And don't we all know what it's like to be at church and the need is presented, right? And we have all of these needs. We need people to serve in kids and people to serve in the parking lot. We need you to to get involved and it's all presented within the light of the ministry need and you are the solution to that need. We've all been there, right? And certainly meeting those needs is important, but what we saw last weekend was what, there's actually something that happens inside of us when we say yes to serving. And so the bigger picture that we're trying to paint in this series isn't so much what your serving does for others, it's what your serving does inside of you. And so here's what we saw last week. It was the simple fact that God uses serving to grow our faith. And if you aren't with us, you might be thinking, well, what does, what does faith have to do with serving? But isn't it true that when those needs are put in front of you, or maybe you see something, you're out and about, and there's that nudge to get involved, that immediately the next thing we think is, man, there's all kinds of reasons why I'm not the right person to meet that need, right? I'm not experienced enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't have that kind of a time. And we go through a hundred different reasons why we're not the right one to meet that need. But here's the deal. All of those reasons fall flat when we stop looking at what we can't do and we focus instead on what God can do. And in those moments, when we feel God nudging us to take action, that's him wanting to stretch our faith muscles. And when we simply will do what we know how to do and trust God to do what only God can do, well, that's how he grows our faith. And as a result of that, our intimacy with the Father grows and, and we go deeper with the Lord. So God uses serving to grow our faith. That's what we saw last weekend. And I want to continue building on that principle this morning. Uh, but I want to talk about something else that happens in us when we serve. And it's something that Paul highlighted in his letter to some first century believers in the city of Galatia. And so if you brought your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you. And, uh, and if you don't own a Bible, we'd like to give you one this morning. After the service, you can go out to the Info Hub, tell them uh, I sent you, and we would love to gift you a Bible. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you what the principle is the principle that we're going to look at this morning in Galatians chapter 5. And then I want to go back to the Gospels to show you what the principle looks like in action, okay? But as you're turning to Galatians, let me me set up uh, a little bit of the background of of Paul's letter. Now, you may know, maybe you've been around church a long time, and you know that Paul wasn't always a Christian, that initially he was a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee, but he had an interaction with Christ, and uh, and he, he devoted his life to following Jesus and to ministry. And so Paul had this really unique perspective where he knew all about the law. He knew all 
about Judaism, but he also was a leader within this new movement of Christianity. And so Paul is writing this letter to some first century believers in the city of Galatia, who many of them also had been Jews. I mean, they, they were Jews, but they followed the Jewish faith, but now have given their life to Christ. And, and they're wrestling with, well, I know that Jesus is my Savior. I know that I've been forgiven of my sins, but I have all of this stuff from my past, everything that I grew up understanding, that I have to do all this and I can't do all of that. And in order to please God, I've got to get this all exactly right. So how do I merge those two things? How do I merge the fact that Jesus is the Messiah with all of the rules and laws that I learned growing up? And Paul is writing this letter to help them understand their new relationship to the Old Testament law. And he says... Here it is. You're free from it. You are free from the law. Christ fulfilled it, and so now, instead of having a relationship with the law, I want you to focus on having a relationship with Jesus. You are free. And haven't we all felt that feeling of freedom in some area in our life? When I thought about freedom in my own life, I thought back to when I was 16 years old. And I finally got that driver's license. And some of you guys are already shaking your heads with me, right? And isn't it true that, that with freedom oftentimes comes a, a thought of like, man, I can, I can do anything I want to do. I can push this thing to its farthest limits. And I'll just tell you, in all honesty this morning, I never knew my mom's minivan could go so fast as when I turned 16 and on those back roads in Mantino, Illinois with the pedal all the way to the floor and the speedometer read up to 125 and I wanted to see if it could do it. Are you with me? Did some of you experience that same thing when you turned 16? That freedom and that, that thought that, man, I'm going to just do whatever I want with this newfound freedom. Well, it's that kind of attitude that Paul is addressing in this part of his letter to the people in Galatia. And here's what he says in Galatians 5.13. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You are free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Or some translations say, don't, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. In other words, don't say that, that now that I don't have to follow the law, I can just do whatever I want to do. Okay, and now I can just go out, I can sin all I want because I'm forgiven, I'm free. Paul says, no, don't use your freedom to sin because here's the deal. These first century believers had an incredible opportunity to take what they used to be obligated to do under the law and now to freely choose to do that under this new covenant. See, the old covenant said, if you want to be right with God, you have to do all of these things. But in the new covenant, Jesus made us right with God by fulfilling the law for us. And it's something we could have never done on our own. He did it by living a perfect, sinless life, by dying a sacrificial death, a death that your sin and mine deserved. And then he rose from the dead and he gave us hope beyond this life that something better is coming. And so now we don't have to follow the law. We don't have to follow a bunch of rules in order to be made right with God we get to start with the relationship made right through the blood of Jesus. And Paul is pointing out that the result of that relationship made right isn't that now we just do whatever we want. No, we are called to be free. But Paul says, don't use your freedom to sin. Rather, he goes on, second part of verse 13, he says, rather serve one another humbly in love. 
So now that you're free from the law, now that you're no longer obligated to keep it, now you have the opportunity to freely choose to serve one another in love. And what what does serving mean? What is serving? Well, it's really simple. If you see a need, meet it. If you see something that needs done, do it. If you see a need, meet it. And if you see something needs done, you do it. He says, now that you're free, I want you to look for opportunities to serve one another in love. And when you see something that needs done, don't, don't say, well, that's not my job. Right? I didn't make that mess. I had to clean it up. Not my monkeys, not my circus, right? No, he says, when you see a need, you meet it. When you see something needs done, you do it. You serve one another in love. Now, look at what he says next in verse 14. He says, for the entire law... The entire law, so all those rules that you've been trying so hard all of your life to keep. And if you wonder what those laws are, you can read in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus. It's all written out there. And these uh, first century believers likely had that entire book memorized. They had put all of those laws to memory. And Paul says all of that, the whole thing, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And how do you do that? You serve them. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. You serve them. When you see a need, meet it. When you see something needs done, do it. And when you do that, everything you memorized, every command in that law will be covered. But then he goes on and he gives us the alternate to serving in verse 15. Look at what he says. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And what does that mean? Well, remember, again, Paul's talking about their freedom, that they are free from the law. You're not under it anymore. And he says, I want you to use that freedom to serve one another. But if you choose not to, if you choose not to serve, you choose just to live your life for you, to live your life for every, you know, pull of your flesh, and you just give into that, Paul says, watch out, because if you live that way, you will destroy each other. And the picture that he uses for self-centered living is biting and devouring. It's a, it's a picture of consumption. It's a picture of really viewing people as just there to, to serve me, and they're a means to an end. And when I, I get what I need from people, then I, I'm just done with them. I'm biting and I'm devouring. And Paul says, if you do that, if you live that way, you will destroy each other. And some of you here today know firsthand that that is exactly right. Because maybe you live in a home where there, there's a bunch of people, but everybody's just kind of going their own way, doing their own thing, looking out for number one, doing the least amount of work possible. And it, quite honestly, it is killing the love in your home. Or students, maybe, maybe for you this plays out at school where, again, there's so much pressure to, to be the best, to perform athletically and, and to perform academically and to be in the popular crowd. And, and the easiest way to make yourself look better is just to bite and devour every chance you get. But when you do that, you destroy what could be some really meaningful relationships. Or how about at work, the, the work environment where everyone is so territorial and I don't dare serve you because then you might get the sale or you might get the raise, you might get the promotion. And quite honestly, at work, the name of the game is biting and devouring. And at the end of the day, you may be on the top, but you had to destroy everyone else to get there. And Paul says that's what happens when we give in to the desire to use our freedom to serve ourselves. And can we all just admit this morning that that desire, that pull is real? Like it's in here. 
I feel it, you feel it, every single one of us has it. But Paul also tells us how to defeat, how to defeat that desire. And just like when we talk about um, greediness, the, the cure to greediness is giving. The cure to selfishness is serving. The cure to, to self-centered living is, is serving. And, and when you serve one another in love, you take a huge step towards putting to death selfishness. So here's the principle. It's on your notes page if you want to write it down. Serving destroys selfishness. Paul tells us that self-centered living destroys others while serving destroys selfishness. So when you recognize that there is this thing inside of me, and if I let it just have its own way, it has the potential to destroy my marriage, destroy my family, destroy my relationships, destroy my integrity. When you, when you recognize that if I let this run loose, this will lead to nothing but destruction, and you want to know, how do I get this under control? God says, you serve. You serve one another and you tell that desire, you are not going to master me. I'm going to master my selfishness and when I see a need, I'm going to meet it. When something needs done, I'm going to do it. And every time we make that decision, we destroy the power of self-centeredness in our hearts. And we live out the freedom that God has so graciously given us because serving destroys selfishness. So that's the principle, okay, from Galatians 5. But now I want to show you that principle in action. And to do that, I want to go to the Gospels, specifically the Gospel of John, chapter 13, if you want to turn there. Uh, it's a place that we've been many times before. You probably know that, that John, chapter 13 through 17, is John's account of the last night of Jesus' life on earth. And so he's meeting with his disciples one last time. They're going to have a meal together. Jesus is going to give them some final instructions, some final encouragement before he is led off to a mock trial and to his crucifixion on a cross. But here's what John records in chapter 13, starting in verse 1. John tells us that it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some translations read that he showed them the full extent of his love. But understand, this isn't just about what will happen in the next few verses. This is what has happened throughout Jesus' entire ministry. He loved his disciples from the very beginning to the very end. And, and what's going to happen next serves as an illustration of that love. So in John 13, verse 2, it says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now listen to this. This is what I want you to catch. Watch this in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew it, and that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. And then the beginning of verse 4, it says, So... So, and I want you to think about that word for just a minute. What would you expect to come next? Jesus knew he was the son of God. He knew he had come from God. He knew he was returning to God. He knew that all power and authority had been given to him. Absolute freedom. So, what does the most powerful person in the world do? This is incredible. Look at verse 4. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. 
And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Are you kidding me? Jesus, you're the Son of God. You are God in the flesh. This doesn't make any sense. You're the most powerful person in the room, not to mention the universe. What are you doing washing feet? You could do anything you want, absolute freedom, and you're going to use it to do what? And in our 21st century context, the audacity of what Jesus did in that moment is quite honestly lost on us because we don't do this anymore. We don't, we don't wash each other's feet. But in Jesus' day, this was customary. And it was a job that was always reserved for the lowest servant in the home. Because while you may think that feet are nasty anyways, like in the first century, this was really disgusting work. I mean, consider, first of all, that people usually just walked everywhere they went. There, was, there wasn't, you know, mass transportation, obviously. And so if you wanted to go somewhere, you were going to walk there. And if you wore shoes at all, the, the shoes of choice were really just a sandal, like an open-topped sandal. And when you read about roads in the New Testament, you can understand that it wasn't a road like we have roads. It was just a dirt path between one place and another. And so as people walked from place to place in these open sandals, the dust and the dirt and the grime would have been all over their feet. And if it had rained, their feet would have been caked with mud. And then when you come to realize that, that it wasn't just people using these roads, but that animals used these roads as well, Well, you come to understand that it wasn't just dirt that they were stepping in, but it was everything that the animals had left behind as well. And can you start to see why foot washing was always saved for the lowest servant in the household? It was a job that needed to be done, but it was a job that no one wanted to do. And notice here in John 13, we were told that the evening meal was already in process and yet no one has washed anyone else's feet. And you can almost feel the tension in the room as the disciples are coming in and they're thinking, hey, where's the servant? Like, I need my feet washed. Who's going to wash my feet? This guy is slacking on his job, right? And it's also interesting to note that Luke, in his gospel, he gives us a little different picture of this meal. He tells us what the disciples were actually talking about at the table. And what they were discussing was, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I'm going to be the greatest. You all know that, right? No, you're not going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's what they were talking about. And don't you think that would have broken Jesus' heart? As he knows his hour has come, he knows his time is short, and these guys are most concerned with who's who's the greatest. They're acting like children. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. And it's in the midst of that conversation that Jesus steps in. And what he does next had such a deep and lasting impact on John, and certainly for all of the others involved, that he records it for us in great detail as Jesus gets up from the table and he takes off his outer clothing, indicating that he's now wearing nothing more than a loincloth. It's the way a servant or a slave would dress. And he takes a towel and and he tucks it into that cloth. And Jesus, he he gets down on the floor and there's there's a basin there and there's a pitcher of water, which interestingly enough, no one else has used, but Jesus does. And he pours that pitcher of water into the basin and he begins washing his disciples' disgusting feet. 
Some of you know I graduated from Lincoln Christian College in Lincoln, Illinois, and Lincoln's mission is to prepare students to serve the church and the world and to remind every person who comes on their campus of that mission as you come up the main drive of Lincoln's campus, the first thing you'll notice is a statue in front of the chapel. And you have a picture of it here. And that statue is there to remind every person who would come on Lincoln's campus that this is what we're about. This is a picture of what we are equipping people to do. It's a picture of service. And as I was preparing for this message, this image kept coming back to me. And I want us just to take a minute and to look closely at that picture. And I want you to look and I want you to think about what Jesus is wearing. Or maybe more appropriately, what he's not wearing as he's there in nothing but a loincloth. And, you know, John will go on later, and he'll have a vision of, of Jesus seated on the throne in heaven, and he tells us that he is robed with splendor and with majesty. And yet here we find Jesus dressed like a servant, dressed like a slave, and just nothing but a loincloth with a towel around his waist. And I want you to think about what Jesus is doing. John told us that Jesus knew that his hour had come. His time is short. There's not much time left. And what does Jesus choose to do with what little time he has? Well, he chooses to serve his disciples in the most humbling way imaginable. And look at Jesus' posture. In verse 3, John told us that Jesus knew that that he had come from God, he was the son of God, there was no question about it. He knew that all power and authority had been given to him. He had complete freedom. And yet look at what he chooses to do with that freedom as he takes a posture of submission and he begins washing his disciples' feet. And I want you to imagine how quiet it must have been in that room. I'm guessing you could have heard a pin drop as the water dripped off the disciples' feet, dripped into that basin. Jesus gently patted them with the towel and then slid the basin to the next person until all of the disciples' feet had been washed. Feet of the betrayer, the feet of the denier, the feet of the cowards who would run and, and leave Jesus to die alone. And in doing this, Jesus is loving his own, showing them the full extent of his love and loving them to the very end. How'd he do it? He served them. He served them. And then he said this in verse 14. He says, now that, that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And listen to this in verse 17. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you're taking notes, write that down. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is saying it's not enough just to know this. You've got to do something about it. If you want to overcome selfishness in your heart, if you want to defeat self-centeredness in your life, this isn't something that you can learn your way out of, that you can just fill up with more and more knowledge and, and then become that better person. No, Jesus says you've got to do something about it. And what do you do? You serve one another humbly in love. And when you feel that thing rising up inside of you that says, that's not my job, 
That's, not, that's below me. I don't have to do that. I'm free to do what I want, and I don't want to do that. When that thought comes to your mind, I want you to remember this passage. It's Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'd encourage you to to put that passage to memory. I memorized this scripture probably 20 years ago now, and it has stuck with me all of these years. But I've got to tell you, just this past week, preparing this message, I saw it in a new light as I just gently heard the Lord ask me a question over this verse. And he said, hey, Ben, the Son of Man came to serve, but what did you come to do? What did you come to do? And it's such an important question, not just for me, but for you too, and in every aspect of our life. Like tomorrow morning when we go to work, when we, when we come into our place of work, what did we come to do? Like did we come just to, to do the bare minimum, just, just get done what I need to get done and get out? Or did we come with eyes open, looking for opportunities to love and to serve those around us? Because the Son of Man, he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. So what did you come to do? What did I come to do? And when I go home at night, when I, when I come home in the evenings, what did I come to do? Did I, did I come so that my wife could serve me, so my kids could meet all of my needs? Or did I come expecting to bless my kids, to bless my family, looking for opportunities to build in them? Because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. But what did I come to do? And, and even when I, I go out to eat, or I go to the grocery store, or I'm out with friends, or even at the BMV, Like, what did I come to do? And yes, I've got a list and I've got an agenda and I've got plans, but is the overarching theme of my life that I have come not to be served, but to serve because the Son of Man, that's what he came to do. And so I think that's what I need to do too. And I think it's true for you as well. If you're a follower of Jesus, what did you come to do? Like even this morning, can can I ask just very specifically, even this morning, What'd you come to church to do? And that's not, a, that's not a guilt trip kind of a statement. I don't want you to answer me or anyone around you, but I do want you to consider in your heart, when you think about coming to church this morning, was it more about what you were hoping to get or more about what you were hoping to give? Because here's the thing, even in a place like this, we can come with some very self-centered motives, can't we? I mean, we can, we can think about, you know, all of the things that, that are going to be pleasing to me and I got to get inside where it's warm and get my, get my coffee and get my bagel and somebody else is going to take my kids for a little bit and I'm going to sing my favorite worship songs and hear my favorite pastor teach my favorite passage and, and then I'm going to be home in time to, to see the game, right? And all of this stuff is just so self-focused, so self-centered and it creeps in so easily. But the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many of you know Joel on our staff, and, uh, and Joel, Joel made a video this week of one person's story of serving here at Genesis, and I love the story of it. It ties in so nicely with what we're talking about, and uh, I want to show it to you here this morning. Check this out. Man, I love Pete's story, and I love his heart, because it's the story and the heart of so many people here at Genesis who have said, man, I'm, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to serve. 
It's the story of people who have discovered that there's power in serving. And maybe you've never tried serving on a team here before, or maybe you were on a team once, but you kind of fizzled out. I, I want you to know we're always looking for more people to get involved. But right now, we've made it especially easy for you. But I, I want you to hear me on this. We don't want you to serve because you have to. Like, I don't want anybody thinking like, well, I need to serve, and if I don't, God's not going to love me, or Paul's not going to. It's none of that, Okay but it's simply because you don't have to that we want you to freely choose to imitate Christ, to do what Jesus did, and to humbly serve others in love. So after the service today, you're going to see people wearing red lanyards that say, I have your invite. They're going to be walking around. These are all people who are already on serve teams here at Genesis Church. And they're wearing that because we're inviting you into this. And if you go to one of those people, they would love to help you take the next step uh, toward serving, toward getting connected on a team. And we always tell people, just give it a try, okay? If you get signed up, if you sign up for a team, I want you to hear from me. You're not signed up until you die or the Lord Jesus comes again, okay? Try, just try it out. And if that team's not a fit, that serving venue's not a fit, we've got a lot of ways for you to get involved. Try something else. But the important thing is that we all are faithful to this and that we all respond in, in obedience and in love and that we're all serving, now listen, some of you have been around for a while, and so I want to speak directly to you. If you've been here for a while and you've never joined a team, I just need you to know that it's really likely that someone on a team already has your number, and they're going to come to you, and they're going to ask you to get involved personally. They're going to hand you an invite with your name on it. And I just, I hope that when that happens, that you will receive that invite understanding that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that you can imitate Christ in that way. And that you can be a person who begins to defeat and to destroy self-centered living in your hearts. And for all of us, as we take these steps towards serving, that we will see our faith go deeper and our intimacy with the Father increase. That's what I want for all of us. And so I hope you will take that step when the opportunity is before you, and certainly it is right now and for the next few weeks, that we can very much like Jesus come to serve. I hope you'll do that. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray together. Father God, we, uh, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you uh, that your word is the thing that we can come to to evaluate against our lives Father, that your word is truth and that when our lives are off course, Father, we can look and see and we can know, okay, that's, that's where I'm supposed to be. I've gotten away from what I'm supposed to do. I've gotten away from where I'm supposed to be. That's where I need to get back to. And, and I think for some of us here this morning, that's probably the realization. Because I know in my own heart and I believe in all of our hearts, selfish living, self-centered living. It's one of those things that just keeps creeping in. And if we don't keep our thumb on it, Lord, it'll take over. The only thing we want in our hearts, Jesus, is you. And so would you just explore our hearts right now? And for you here this morning, I just want to give you a moment to allow the Lord to do that and to ask the Lord the question, Jesus, is there anything in my heart that wouldn't please you? Is there any attitude of my heart, any selfishness, any self-centeredness that would keep me from, from imitating you in this? Would you just take a moment quietly where you are 
to pray that prayer and ask the Lord to reveal those things to you. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you make us more like Christ? Would you give us the same attitude, the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, something to be used to his advantage, but he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. Father, make us like that. I pray that just like Jesus, Father, we would not come looking to be served, but we would come to serve, giving our lives, Father, for the good of other people. Spur us on towards that by your spirit. We thank you for Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.